1: As a child, my summer holidays consisted of camping, visiting relatives and spending as much time reading as humanly possible. I did not travel to the middle of the Western Australian desert, grab my metal detector and pick with the rest of my family and spend days and days in the burning hot sun searching for gold. No, that was Tyler Marnie's childhood. So maybe it's not surprising that she followed in three generations of family footsteps and became a full-time gold miner herself. What about you? Have you ever got into prospecting or panning or metal detecting? What did you turn up? Tyler Marney is also a reality TV star and now an author. Her book's called Gold Digger, Chasing the Motherload in a Man's World. Tyler, hello. Hello. How are you? Good. Great to have you on the program. Tell us a bit more about these holiday mining trips and what they were like for you as a kid.
0: Yeah, so like you said, when I was a kid growing up, um, our school holidays, we would head out to the outback, so places like Leonora and Laverton in the gold fields of Western Australia, and we'd just prospect for gold and run amok out there.
1: There's a lot of the, in the book about, you know, quad bikes and motorbikes and trashing things and just generally getting gloriously grubby on these trips, though I, I understand you got to sleep in the prized camper van at least.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Mum and Dad were... Um, outside in the swags on the floor and me and my brother were in the camper van but yeah we spent the whole time we were there just on motorbikes and you know going down the mine shafts you probably shouldn't have and chasing animals and getting up to mischief but it was really good fun.
1: Well and some great lessons on self-reliance too I understand.
0: Yes definitely you know mum and dad and my auntie and uncle they were always um, busy prospecting they always did keep an eye on us but we definitely had to kind of um, be resilient and kind of make our own way out there and yeah there's been there was a couple of situations where we definitely had to use resilience me and my younger cousins got lost out bush once so that was one of those times
1: yeah six hours with a five-year-old <laughs> and an 11-year-old and you at 13 that is uh, an amazing story of luck I feel mainly but how <laughs> hard did the bug bite you Tyler I mean this is you were the fourth generation in your family to be involved in gold mining and prospecting what do you think it, it bit you so hard
0: yeah, I no, definitely, definitely did. Um, I've kind of always had that gold fever since I was a little girl. I just have always loved it. And for me, it's like when you find a gold nugget, it's kind of like that little dopamine hit. And like when you win a scratchy or you win on the lotto, you get that rush. And for me, it was definitely quite addictive. I um I tried to get away from it a little bit when I was a bit younger, but yeah, I just couldn't escape it, and I, I love what I do. I love finding gold, and I, I think I'm pretty lucky that I get to do it for a job.
1: And it sounds like the the landscape is a big part of it too, like it's just really uh, healing for you to be out there.
0: Oh, yes, I love it. So I live in Kalgoorlie, which is in the gold fields, and I just love being in the outback. I love the red dirt. I'm lucky for my job. I get to travel around the world quite a bit, and I've spent time in Canada and Alaska and overseas and New Zealand, but um, I just love the outback, and I just love being in the red dirt.
1: So when you speak of being in the red dirt, you, it's quite literal, isn't it? Tell us what a day in the field looks like.
0: Yeah, it's very, very literal. The red dirt gets everywhere. You can't. You have to love it if you want to live here. Um, but it's, every, every day is so different. So like some days I might be in the loader or excavator or feeding our dry blower. Um, so the other dry
1: blower, might... that, just describe that for people. Is it like, you know, you would have used a wet sieve back in the day, but this uses air to separate the gold?
0: Yeah, no, exactly. So a wash plant, um, people, that might be a better description for people to try and understand. It's like basically using water and gravity to separate gold. But because where I am, we don't have any water. It's very, very dry and it's just not available. So we have to use a dry blower, which is um, air and gravity to try and separate the gold. And the old timers did something similar called dry panning, which is... um, the same, the same method, just without the machinery, and um, so yeah, we use that quite often. That uses, we use that to find fine gold um and then use metal detectors and then other days there might be researching in the office um going yesterday we went and did some exploration we went and found some new leases that we might want to acquire um so yeah every day is so different that's something that I love about my job
1: well then I saw an interview with you where you said it's about knowing how to read the ground how much method is involved in that and how
0: much is it just raw luck Yeah, definitely. So um, being a prospector is all about reading the ground and knowing how the gold's moving in the area and looking at indicators. So yesterday, for example, we knew that where we were, the gold was traveling in laterite and especially in like laterite domes. So it's just about going out there and kind of reading that. And then when you are finding the gold, it's about knowing how to follow it and the best way to get it out of the ground.
1: And what's the biggest find that you've ever made?
0: Um, my biggest find is five ounces. So it's not, it's not the biggest nugget ever. My dad's is a bit better at 12 ounces and mum around 11. Um, but I definitely want to, get back out there and make sure I'm winning in the family race.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I imagine it's pretty competitive (laughs) by this stage. Very
0: very competitive. Me and my family are very competitive.
1: Well, Tyler, Marnie, I should ask, what kind of impact does mining have on the land that you're working? I mean, lots of people have concerns about the big operations. What happens with smaller outfits like yours?
0: Yeah, definitely. It's it's such an important conversation to have. Um, So like you said, we're a lot smaller. We're very low impact. We don't use... um, harsh chemicals like the big mines are. We're all just water, air and gravity. Um, But we do have strict native title laws as well, which is um, we work with the local Indigenous group to make sure they're being compensated. And then we have a rehabilitation program. So basically we have to move a certain um, amount of hectares and then we have to put it back before we can continue mining. But um, yeah, we're definitely very, very low scale, very low impact. There's only four of us and we're only going about six feet deep into the ground.
1: Well, and you do point out too that your family's success comes from working on stolen land in your book, A Gold Digger Chasing the Mother Motherlode in a Man's World. Um, tell me about the traditional owners of the land that you're working on and their connection with the gold that's there too.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so one of our, we're, we're very, something that, um, is very important to us is respecting the owners of the land, and for us that's the Wongatha people. We're on Wongatha land, and just acknowledging that and kind of following their lead. Um, and if it was if it wasn't for the Wongatha people, gold wouldn't we wouldn't be here. They actually in the original gold rush helped the first prospectors a lot. You know they showed them water, helped them with food. And Indigenous people have been finding gold here for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. So they were some of the first people to show the prospectors what gold is and where they can find it. Um, So, yeah, we have a lot to thank for them.
1: Well, and as you say, you know, your family's been involved in this for generations. And that area of the earth near Kalgoorlie, known as the Golden Mile, has thrown up some pretty interesting interactions around gold. Tell us how your great-great-grandfather became kind of the town's first gold dealer.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, so basically, he was living in a place called Norseman in our goldfields. And um, for anyone that's been to the goldfields, they'll notice huge alleyways in between the houses. And those were for um, the horse and carts to get down to pick up the um, the 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 poos and the waves from the toilets and he that was his job he would come along and grab the buckets and take it out push and dispose of it because obviously there was no plumbing systems um but he was the illegal gold dealer so what would happen is the miners would go to work at their mines and they would steal gold unfortunately you know gold fever does does this to people and they would put it in their buckets from their toilet and they would put their lid in a certain way which means that he would know there's gold in it and he'd put it into his horse and cart, take it out bush, take the gold out, replace it with money and put their buckets back in the alleyway for him. So, um, yeah, it wasn't wasn't the uh, most legal way of gold dealing, but that's what he did. Well,
1: yeah, you could see him as an outlaw or
0: you could see him as
1: enterprising. And I'm wondering, actually, if that is still what goes on out there. Is it still a bit, you know, wild and lawless out on the gold fields?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, so the gold world has a big underbelly and um, – Gold fever does crazy things to people. So where there's gold, there's going to be stealing and there's going to be crime, unfortunately. Um, We have the gold police now, which try and put a stop to it. But yeah, it's a crazy world with some crazy stories.
1: Well, I mean, they, they kind of go on a spectrum from crazy to outright appalling, don't they? And we've been hearing in recent years some of the problems that uh, the mining culture has had uh, and the impacts it's had on women with sexual assaults uh, and harassment on mining sites. You write really strongly about how much harder it is for women in that world, in the outback and in mining. How have you dealt with that over the years?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, you're you're very right there. It's it's been hard. I kind of first noticed it with my mum coming through and the sexism that she experienced. So now that I'm older, I can definitely see it is what it is. Um, I think like a good example is there's this lady in Western Australia. She's um, quite well known in the industry and she's done a lot for women in mining and kind of paving that way. And I listened to an interview she did and she um, basically said that, you know, there's good pockets in mining and there's bad pockets and you just have to find those good pockets. And that's what she's had to do to survive. But I think we should be changing those bad pockets. And I think um, women should be able to step into any pocket in mining and it'd be a safe place. Um, we've definitely improved, but we're just not quite there yet. Mm. Well,
1: I loved reading about your story, Tyler Marnie, how you, you, know, you grew up in this gold mining family, fourth generation gold mining family. At one point, as you said, you, know, you moved away from it while you, you went to Perth to start a social work degree, then you started a jewellery business, you did some modelling as well. What do you think you were looking for at those times?
0: Yeah I definitely um, jumped around and kind of tried everything. I think I was trying to escape the gold world because to me it wasn't something that I don't know I just didn't see myself being able to be a gold prospector because I didn't really fit the bill so I was kind of out there searching for the same dopamine hits and the same rushes and that same feeling that gold prospecting gave me but I just didn't find it and I was gone for a couple of years before I came back and now I feel at home and I feel at peace and I know this is what I'm supposed to be doing.
1: Well, and you were also dealing with some uh, pretty interesting mental health issues, uh, a, a diagnosis of bipolar. How did that go for you in the time that you were away from mining?
0: Yeah, it was really tough. So when I stepped away from the gold world, that's kind of when the symptoms started to show and it started to take a really bad turn. Um, So like you said I got a diagnosis of bipolar which was a big journey Um, and then yeah I came back into gold mining and I've just it's taken a long time but just keeping on top of those symptoms and making sure that I'm I'm doing things that make me feel good and yeah making sure that I'm, I'm staying healthy mentally and physically
1: yeah well, and you're right how you know the the being out out back has is been a big part of that process for you and is a a happy safe healing place but you know here's a question I never thought I would ask anyone, Tyler Marnie, was it reality t v to the rescue when
0: it came to getting back
1: into mining?
0: <laughs> you know what i yes i Hate to admit that, but yes, from <laughs> TV to the rescue for sure. I think it just kind of got me out of, you know, that bit of a slump and put me back in the goal world and I was like, oh, wow, this is, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. It was definitely a bit of a sliding doors moment, I think.
1: Yes, indeed. So for people who aren't familiar, you've been on a show called Aussie Gold Hunters and then later on, as you said, travelling overseas uh, to different places, including for a show called Gold Rush Parkers Trail. What kinds of different ways of mining have you seen in your travels compared to what you learnt growing up?
0: Yeah, so many. So I've been doing prospecting my whole life and every time we visit a different country, and a different gold region, I'm a rookie all over again, which I love. Um, But over in Canada and Alaska, it's placer mining, which is something that I'm definitely not familiar with. So I had to relearn like water management and gold at depth. They're finding gold 60 feet in the ground, which was definitely foreign to me. Um, And then Different places in like New Zealand, the gold was very different again. So just being a rookie has been great because it's expanded my knowledge so much. And I'm so grateful for that.
1: Yeah. How are you with tunnels with the 60 feet under?
0: Oh, it's actually we get to do open cut, thank God, because otherwise I wouldn't be there. (laughs) Tunnels are a no for me.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, it's fascinating too to read how, you know, quite early on in life, you were like, okay, I've realised that my looks are going to be judged before... Uh, the other parts of me in mining and in the outback. And I imagine it was the same in modelling too. You write too about you know how that was not great for your eating disorder in that part of your life. What about when you travel overseas and do TV shows? How is your gender perceived there?
0: Um, yeah, it's pretty, honestly, it's pretty much the same, no matter which country I've been in, where um, mining is a male-dominated industry. So, You know, I travel with um, a male colleague and when he enters a room, he's given respect and um, I have to earn it. And that's, it just adds another layer of difficulty. But I also am very aware that I do have pretty privilege. So my looks probably have opened a lot of doors for me. So just balancing those two different worlds and yeah, just... Owning it, I guess.
1: It's a weird thing, isn't it? Trying to find your place on the privilege spectrum. It's like, okay, I'm white. I'm <laughs> I'm relatively attractive. Yes. I'm a woman, though. And where do I come from? Like in a class sense in Australia, it's it's a, quite a murky thing sometimes, isn't it?
0: A hundred percent. I think just acknowledging that fact, like like you said, I've got white privilege. And I've got pretty privilege. So just acknowledging those th- that they're there. Um, yeah, you, you definitely have to do that. So, what's next
1: for you, Tyler would what, what, Where would you like to go professionally in mining?
0: Well, I'm hoping to go back to Canada and Alaska in March. So, that's my goal. Um, basically, I was doing a bit of mine managing in the Alaskan mine site and I absolutely loved that. I would love to head back up to Fairbanks and get back into machinery and obviously the TV show will be there. So, do a bit more of TV. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of just taking it as it comes and yeah, so far that's worked out.
1: Yeah. Well, what would you say to someone who's saying, that sounds great? I'm going to get me a metal detector and head off out back and just do some mining and strike it rich.
0: <laughs> I would say, please don't get your hopes up. It is bloody <laughs> hard work. I feel bad because the TV shows I'm on sometimes make it look a little bit easier than it is. And there's a lot of rubbish in between those gold finds, but you give it a go. Like, it is so much fun. And I absolutely love it. So if they're in a position, go and give it a go. Just make sure you keep realistic. You're not you're probably not going to go find the million dollar nugget first day.
1: Well, yeah. I loved looking at the pictures of you, you know, kind of looking around in these beautiful green pools uh, in waterways. But then there was the videos of you in the 45 degree heat and the red oh. dirt. And it was like, nope, nope, nope. Not for me. <laughs> yeah.
0: Look, no, it's bloody hard. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's been really fascinating chatting to you, though, and just opening up this world for people who might never get a chance to go and see it for themselves. Thank you for doing that so that we don't have to. It's been lovely talking to you today.
0: Oh, thank you. And thank you for having me.
1: It's a pleasure. Tyler Marney, She is a fourth generation gold miner. She's a regular on the reality TV show Gold Rush. And she's got a new book out too. It's called Gold Digger, Chasing the Motherlode in a Man's World. And if you read the book, you'll see what meanings the words gold digger have held for her over the
0: years. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.